I think we're seeing those that don't adapt fast enough or don't have enough cash on their balance sheet to survive, they're going to have problems. I think Open Door, I was reading Mike Delfret's LinkedIn post today, Open Door announced earnings today and they lost a billion dollars in Q3. So if you don't have the cash to sustain yourself and and while you're making business model changes, you know, you may not you may not exist. But I think the solution is needed. It just may it may just need to adapt uh, to the the contours of this market. Hey folks, this is Clayton Collins, your host for the Housing News Podcast. A recent Redfin report shared that U.S. homebuyers now need an annual income of over $107,000 a year to afford a median-priced home in the United States. It's no secret to us as housing professionals that home affordability is becoming a major problem. In today's episode of Housing News, I'm bringing you the audio recording of a video interview I did with Rook CEO, Ed Messman, talking about innovative solutions to the home affordability crisis. Ed helps lay a great backdrop to the challenge that our country is facing and how that challenge impacts mortgage and real estate professionals across the country. But we don't stop there. We go into some of the innovative solutions that are coming to market today, solutions that help homeowners afford homes, but also help mortgage professionals and real estate professionals serve their borrowers and referral partners. I really hope you enjoy this conversation with Rook Capital CEO, Ed Messman. Enjoy the episode. Ed, I am, I'm thrilled to, to have you here today for this dispatch session focused on innovative solutions to the home affordability crisis. And folks that, that don't know Mr. Ed Messman, the CEO of Rook Capital, he is an incredible entrepreneur and operator who's bringing a lot of diverse experience to this, this newly launched venture that is Rook Capital that is, is seeking to make a change in the housing landscape. Ed, thank you so much for, for joining us today to bring your expertise uh, to the to the Housing Wire audience and work with me to kind of workshop through some solutions that we're seeing innovation happen in the, in the mortgage, home finance, and home purchase process. Yeah, thanks for having us. Excited to be here. All right. So folks, as we kick into the conversation, I think it's really important to set the stage with some data. So historically, we've seen homeownership rates fluctuate around 60% on a national level. But when you start breaking down different generational cohorts, you see really different data points. And there's been a lot of conversation over the last decade about millennial homeownership. I think I, I technically classified as a, a geriatric millennial who kind of breaks the mold on, on homeownership. Um, but I think there's a lot of us out there, but the data tells us that only 47.9% of millennials currently own homes. And comparing that to Gen X, the generation kind of right above me, um, the home ownership rate is 69%. Baby boomers are at 77.8%. And the silent generation is at the same level as baby boomers. Ed, this is some wild data that we get from the Census Bureau and one that I think there's still some misperceptions and some solutions that can be brought to market to help close the gap of millennial homeownership, but also open the door for this Gen Z population that is rapidly entering the workforce and seeking to own homes. Yeah. I, I mean, for, for me, Clayton, I think about um, my wife and I, we bought our first home in Louisville, Colorado. It's a little suburb of Boulder. Uh, in 1999, 
It's a 1500 square foot home. We paid $179,000 for it, right? And we scrimped and saved for a down payment. And we had our first two kids there. And then we needed more space. And then we had our third kid. And then we wanted to move into a school district. And we moved again. But I think about like those stats that you just uh, rattled off, like the generation today, those millennials are right where I was at that time. That same house today, it's nothing fancy. It was an entry level 1500 square foot house. Is seven hundred thousand dollars, right? It's a great neighborhood to raise a family, but imagine your my twenty eight or your twenty eight year old self buying a seven hundred thousand dollar home when you haven't hit that earnings power uh, in your career yet. Um, so that's, I mean, th- those are some of the challenges facing this generation that we're hoping to solve at Rook. Yeah, absolutely. That that's a that's a great launch, and uh, to our audience, I assure you, Ed and I aren't going to sit here and talk about our personal homeownership paths the whole time. But we are going to talk about some of the solutions that will have an impact on realtors, mortgage lenders, independent mortgage bank executives as folks seek to solve this problem for homeowners and also boost volume for home sales and home financing. Ed, I want to kick into it. You just shared an anecdote about your first home purchase, but we know that the housing ecosystem is larger and more complex than the situations that apply specifically to you and I as homeowners and folks that are are building housing wealth and and putting shelter in place for, for our family. So can you provide some color as to why home affordability is a topic that you're particularly passionate about right now and, and why you've launched a business in an effort to help bring a solution to the market? Yeah, well, I think, I think part of it, uh, Clayton, is... Um... I have kids that are on the front end of staring at home ownership. Um, got three kids, a couple of them in their twenties. Uh, my co-founder has four kids, a few of them in his twenties, their twenties, and they're facing they're facing a very different market than we did when we bought our first home. Um, and I think about, you know, as I've gotten to know the real estate industry, the magnitude of the problem is immense. Um, and I think if you really think about it, if we don't help address this problem now, like you're you're staring at a generation that may end up renting for five, six, seven years longer, maybe living at home. Like those aren't those aren't the trends that we want to see. Um, all the societal benefits of home ownership trickling down into our economy, and so we just felt like um, there's got to be a way to 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 address it, um, and and using modern infrastructure, modern technologies, modern approaches. And so that's what we set out to do, really trying to help, I would say emphatically, the millennial generation who's right in that homeownership season of life, um, starting families, getting married, thinking about the future of their family to get into homeownership. So a decade ago, as I mentioned, we had this incorrect rhetoric that millennials would never buy homes. And I, and I think we're, we're kind of at the precipice now of that rhetoric being applied to Gen Z. What is kind of mainstream news media or industry pundits? Like what have they missed on thinking about how household formation works and how younger generations grow up and seek home ownership? I don't I don't know if they've missed anything. I do think that this generation is very they think differently. Um, um, they have different behavior sets, they have different mindsets on ownership and investing and um lifestyle. Um, you know, I, I was explaining this to my son uh, and I asked him if he could explain this to his college roommates. And he's like, well, I really don't know what a 30-year mortgage is. Um, so I explained him what a 30-year mortgage is and, and I kept talking about it. And he's, he said, I was talking about the shared equity model that we're bringing. He said, wait a minute. So you're saying I can own 30% of three homes versus 100% of one. 
right? And while that may be not exactly the, the frame of reference, the idea that you don't have to own 100% of your home while you maintain financial margin in your life so that you can either live a bigger life, you can invest back in the market, you're not house poor. Um, that's the idea is that diversification, not being over levered on your mortgage because of housing prices and interest rates, but still moving into the benefits of homeownership. Yeah. I mean, that's uh, understanding a 30-year mortgage with amortization schedules and principal and interest is is yeah. tough enough. So there, there is a there's a challenge and a learning curve, not just in bringing product and innovation to market, but educating that next generation about what plain vanilla mortgages look like and, and what more innovative solutions look like. Just earlier this week, I understand that you spoke at a, an event at the Colorado University Real Estate Center, the CE Real Estate Center, focused on technology and innovation in residential housing. What were some of the key themes that you discussed in this venue? In a venue that I imagine had some young college students present who uh, who might have an interest in learning more about real estate innovation or um, or working in this sector. Yeah, it was interesting. There was about 150 people there. On the left, as I was staring out, was all students, right? Um, and then in the center was all primarily realtors and, and mortgage lenders and people in the real estate industry just intrigued by what's happening uh, in the market. And I think that the themes were one, we're in the early days of innovative solutions to help solve some of these problems. Like the government is not going to move fast enough to solve these problems. And with how fast rates have gone up, I mean, we're all feeling it. Um, we're all seeing it on the headlines. Uh, the impacts are just starting to trickle trickle in. And so I think the, the theme was we're early days, but we're starting to see a bunch of different solutions come to market that really are trying to create different on-ramps for this big swath of millennials to move into home ownership. And, and it's not just going to be one solution. Like we're one of several. It could be a rent to own. It could be shared equity. Um, it could be some of the, you know, the iBuying and power buying solutions that get morphed. So I think that it's a big enough problem that there will be plenty of room and, 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 and obviously plenty of opportunity for a bunch of different solutions to come to market. It's just, you know, if you think about, the number of millennials who don't own homes who are right in that power buying stage of life, there's about 20, 24, 25 million of them. Um, and so if you think about mortgage activity, purchase mortgage activity, that's, you know, let's just say we get 10% of them or, or 5% of them that moves. That's an uplift in the market um, by, I think you mentioned it. What was it? 20, 30? Yeah. I mean, well, current, most recent projections are forecasting about 5 million units in 2023. So, I mean, if you're talking about solutions that can bring five to 10% additional volume to market, like we're talking about solutions that can move 2023 projections by, by 25 to 50%. And I think oh. we're, we're move upward forward. And I, I think we're certain that that type of movement wouldn't be equally distributed across all lenders because some lenders are going to adopt new solutions and partnerships. Others are going to stay focused on, on their bread and butter. So yeah. I think what you're highlighting here is, is not just opportunity, but concentrated opportunity for lenders and real estate agents who, who actually invest the time to understand some of these innovations that aren't pipe dreams. They're in market. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, we, we have a couple partners on the banking side and the realtor side, um, but we, we are getting inbounds now from lenders and mortgage lenders and realtors who are just looking for new solutions 
so they can bring buyers to market because everything, as you know, everything is slowed down almost to a halt. Um, and so they're looking for you know new 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 tools to bring to the market. Um, so I think you know part of the, part of the challenge is um, this came up at the CU Center as well is like how do you educate the market uh, fast enough to meet the the needs of the market? And we're in the middle of that right now. Hey, I want to continue on the this conversation of partnerships and independent mortgage bank exec interest and product innovation, but let's let's stay on the the real estate event at CU for a second. So you had some great panelists that you were speaking with, one of which is Mike Delpreet, who's made a, a huge name for himself um, in analyzing the iBuyers and some other innovation and power buying in the in the real estate space. Are there any new viewpoints or evolved viewpoints that you walked away from that with that event from like did you did you learn anything yourself that like you better help helps you better understand the opportunity or need for innovation in real estate well i mean i i think that um like i said the theme was you know we're we're in the early days um we did talk about all these just think about all these different solutions coming to market and having the agent and the mortgage lender um, understand all the different types of solutions um, and be able to articulate them to their clients, right? In a very simple, in a very simple to understand way. That's, I think, that's the challenge that we're seeing right now. And and as you know, like we see TV advertising from Open Door, Orchard, certainly when Zillow offers was in market, they're they're all over the place. So they're spending millions of dollars educating the consumer on new ways to transact or buy a home. Right. And I think we'll still we'll see we'll see the same with new solutions on how to finance a home. We're just we're just so early in that that I think the agents are going to have to really pay attention to the different options that exist. Yeah. And how do and I guess another challenge is helping agents differentiate between different innovation models. And like we're a lot of what we're talking about today is shared equity and co-ownership and down payment assistance to I like the term you use to create an on ramp to housing. Um I buyers, power buyers play a little bit of a different role. And I think like open door and the like have done a great job at leveraging a lot of venture dollars to educate yeah. the public and bring awareness to innovation and housing. But there's also been a lot of challenges in those business models. Yeah. Do you think some of the challenges that like the iBuyers have faced um, sets back other innovative models, or do you think that's a kind of a surmountable challenge or, or completely uncorrelated challenge? No, I think, I think it's just a new, a new model that met the need at a specific a time. certain time. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we're seeing those that don't adapt fast enough or don't have enough cash on their balance sheet to survive. They're going to have problems. Uh, I think open door, I was reading Mike Delpret's, um LinkedIn post today, open door announced earnings today, and they lost a billion dollars in Q3. So if you don't have the cash to sustain yourself and and while you're making business model changes, you know, you may not you may not exist. But I think the solution is needed. It just may it may just need to adapt uh, to the the contours of this market. Um, you know, for us, for us, you know, our our approach is maybe you can't afford to buy 100% of the house, but you probably could afford to buy 65 or 70% of the house and then we can come alongside you um, and help you with the rest. Um, that's the kind of model. And, and by doing that, we're able to back to kind of lower the amount that you have to finance in the house while investors in our platform come alongside you to support you in that effort. So 
this year, the topic of product innovation has been a constant with all of the guests that I've hosted on the, the Housing News podcast, particularly independent mortgage bank executives, who I think historically an IMB, if you're you know not focused on like a plain vanilla 30-year fixed rate mortgage and you know the last couple of years environment, um, you felt like a disruptor or a competitor to the independent mortgage banks. But now it seems like there's kind of a broadening of the appetite and the aperture for, for talking about product innovation as lenders, originators, and agents seek to boost volume and serve more consumers. And you know that, that includes the, the innovative programs like we're talking about today and shared ownership and co-ownership and shared equity, but also like products that have been around for a long time, like non-QM and reverse. Um, so as it relates to accessing homeownership, what are you hearing from bank mortgage bank executives in terms of their appetite for, for bringing innovative solutions into their organizations to help originators boost volume and serve more consumers? Yeah, we, we are, um, we are slowly um, hearing from those that are more progressive that are thinking about the future of how to introduce new solutions into market. I think everyone got um, comfortable over the last 10-year bull run, and particularly the last you know, two years with the refi boom, um, at least on the mortgage side. And I think the agents have also gotten comfortable in how quickly they've been moving transactions. And now that things are grinding to a halt, all of a sudden, people that um, have the capacity to lift their heads up and say, hey, I got to think about how to, you know, pick up my demand again and think of new solutions that are in market that I can use in my quiver. We have a couple partners right now and we're starting to hear more that aren't distracted by their own kind of internal fires and chaos that they're putting out right now, but are saying, okay, we need to kind of understand what's out there that can help uh, offset some of the losses we've had. And we've been kind of lumping together a lot of these on-ramp products in this conversation, but if I can kind of like tap into your Wikipedia of, of knowledge here. Can can you walk us through like, so the, the audience and, and myself can kind of learn about the, the pros and cons and the applications where some of these products might be most helpful. So I kind of want to focus in on like the difference in the application of down payment assistance versus co-ownership versus rent to own. And, and you can tell me if I'm looking at that kind of spectrum the right way or the wrong way, but I'm, I want to yeah. hear you kind of walk through the products so we can bring that knowledge to the audience. Yeah, I think there's a there's a couple of, and we, we're learning this as we go as well. There's a couple of really important distinctions as, as we're learning. While, while we solve home affordability, I think there's some explicit distinction between affordable housing and home affordability. Right? That's a great think, point. Yeah, and I think you just published a great article about that very topic. Um, and so when you think about down payment assistance, a lot of those are municipal-based down payment assistance programs or state-led organizations or nonprofits. Um, they address a certain demographic, right? And that's a, a much-needed demographic to address. There's also those that, you know, here in Boulder, where the average cost of a house is probably $800,000 or, or in Fort Collins, the average price is $640,000, where you may have a good job working for HP up in Fort Collins or working for Google here in Boulder, but it's not enough to buy a home in that community. And so I think um, when, when we think about home affordability, I think that um, certainly the solutions that allow you to get in rent to own I think will be applicable to some people. I think the shared equity programs will be applicable to others. You know, the way I think about it, Clayton, it's like, hey, 
all these options should exist and we sh they should all be options for the consumer, right? And the consumer should have a choice on, well, maybe I want to rent to own. Um, maybe that fits better for my life because I don't know if I'm going to be in Boulder for a long time. Um, so that's a good model for me. Or I'm going to be, in, I, I just had someone come to us yesterday and said, I know I'm going to be in Boulder. I can't afford it today. I'm going to be here long-term. I'm happy to give you some equity in exchange to help me get into you know, a neighborhood in Boulder. And so I think the answer is we need more choices and those choices need to be well understood by the agents and the lenders so that they get proper attention and explanation to the buyers. And agents are often going to be the the first housing professional to field the question of, are there any products or programs that will enable me to get into this $800,000 medium home price value that you talked about in Boulder, but might not have the six-figure household income? What are some of the situational triggers or financial triggers or objectives that agents should be looking for. So they're, they know how to guide clients. And we talked about this in advance. If agents not armed with yeah. some of these on-ramp tools, they're probably not going to lose that home buyer to another agent. That home buyer is just going to go sit on the sideline and continue yeah. renting because they don't know the solution exists. So yeah. how should, what should agents be listening for? And what should loan originators be listening for to make sure we don't leave home buyers on the sideline who there actually is a solution out there to help them get into a house that they own. Yeah, I, I don't know that if they should be listening, per se, I mean, they should be, but I think that the solutions that are trying to work through that channel, like us, um, and, and there are others, um, we need to be proactive in helping them, like train the trainer, uh, so to speak, um, give them the tools they need to properly understand. It's got to be super simple. Like I think some of the solutions can be overly complex. And so you've got to make it super simple to understand. For us, um, practically speaking, we have a really simple calculator. And it basically says, if you use a traditional mortgage, here's what your payment would be. If you use us, Rook, here's what it would be. And here's your monthly savings. Um, and so I think simple tools like that for the agent to have access to to, to sit in front of their client and say, well, let's, where do you want, what neighborhood do you want to look at? And, and here's a model that could work to allow you to get into that neighborhood. And here's what your monthly payment would be. Make it very simple to understand and articulate. Um, but I think the onus is on us to enable um, what I would say are partners in channel in the market with the things that make it easy for them to, to explain. Yeah, so Ed, we're getting a couple of questions from the audience, and I want to spend a little, um, a little, little time on these before we move into kind of our, our, our closing points. And we have some audience members who type a lot of words. So I'm not going to read them all, but uh, can you speak to the scalability of equity share models um, from a focus on purchase transactions? And I, and I think part of this question on the scalability is solutions that are leveraging investor capital to enable these equity shares like are you seeing like pension fund interest and like if originators are having to answer the question of well, where did this capital come from who's my true partner in this yeah. co-ownership scenario is there capital interest and two how do these products scale yeah it's a really good question so when we started rook we looked at existing patterns out in the market and and as most of you probably know on the call um you know, when you originate a mortgage, eight, nine times out of 10, that's packaged up and sold to a GSE, which is packaged up into mortgage-backed securities and sold to Wall Street. Um, and so it's a it's a well-known pattern. Um, and we said, well, what, what if we could implement a modern marketplace 
that was community specific, that invited the community that we're addressing to participate in solving the problem. What if you and me as people that live in our respective communities could invest in um, partnering with homeowners moving into, into homes or home buyers moving into homes? What if local family offices, employers, foundations could participate in providing capital and all of a sudden now you you have a distributed base of capital in the communities that we're trying to address, providing the capital needs that traditionally have been met by institutions in Wall Street and, and government agencies. And so that's what that's how we think about the appetite for um, for capital for this type of innovation. And if you think about it, not only are we helping to address home affordability, but we're inviting a group of investors that have traditionally not had easy access to invest in single family residential on a diversified basis um, to get access to that asset class. That's great. So um, there's also been, uh, everyone's watching the Fed very carefully. The Fed's like used rhetoric that a housing market reset uh, may be part of the objective. So like that leads people to think about, um, will home prices come down and is home prices coming down going to be part of the solution to housing affordability? If it is not, um, are other product innovations like extending out to a 40 year amortization schedule or interest only for 10 years? Like, do you see those as product innovations on a traditional mortgage that might be part of the solution or does your energy focus to other, other parts of the product innovation ecosystem? Yeah, I, I think they're back to what I said earlier. I think, I think they're all options, right? And, and a 40 yeah. year might be applicable for someone. I, I think at the end of the day, you have to look at like, okay, what's a 40 year, what's your monthly payment going to be? Um, what's a what's a you know a ten year arm? By the way, you know ar- arms are variable, right? So as Feds raise rates, you know those are going to reset. Um, so the, I think they're all just different solutions that need to be options for the consumer. Um, and at the end of the day, they 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 should choose which fits best. Um, for us, we said we we kind of said, hey, we're, we're a tech company and we're trying to build new models to address housing finance for. A time is this for home affordability for a generation that's right in the middle of their home buying years, right? And we said, what if we could introduce a marketplace? And what if that marketplace included people and and partners in the community, the very communities that we're trying to address? And so you can imagine your community down in Dallas, you you know the you know the stakeholders, right? I know the stakeholders in Boulder. Everyone has local community stakeholders, family offices, chamber of commerce, foundations. You and I, as influential people within the community, we why can't we all participate and be a part of the solution? So that's that's the approach that we took. Yeah, I mean, I like thinking about the ecosystem, I and mean, it's um you know the 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 capital ecosystem, but also like the downstream ecosystem, and how much homeownership impacts communities like like Dallas or or Boulder, and that the downstream impact of capital flooding into the community as people uh, not only buy homes but then furnish them and like start to do all the other things that uh, that come in the economic flow. So there's there's a lot to to unpack there, Ed. But yeah. as we wrap up this dispatch conversation, and this is like the fun thing I like to do on our housing news podcast is kind of have the operator to operator conversation. And I think a lot about my strategy and how I'm going to grow my business at HW Media. Can you give us a glimpse into your strategy for how you anticipate Rook growing into this kind of developing market opportunity? So we we um, we chose early on to work within 
the existing channel. We didn't want to, you know, spend the time trying to disrupt that. I think that would have been silly. So we try to slip our way into the existing kind of how the sausage gets made, right? There's a lot of there's a lot of participants that have good footholds in that market, uh, not the least of which are realtors and the mortgage industry. And so we we will focus on that. That's where our initial set of partners are. Um, we're getting inbounds for more partnerships. Um, and and we're just getting started. So we launched in Colorado a few um, about uh, three or four weeks ago. Um, we will expand into probably ten to fifteen more states over the next few years. And again, we're we're looking at these community uh, level kind of growth plan where it may be Dallas, it may be Austin, it may be Seattle, it may be Salt Lake City, uh, but they all have their unique profiles of of um, stakeholders. And that's how we're going to grow. And and we're going to, if you think about, you know, real estate is really local, um, if you think about it, right? And when you think about local real estate, you think about local realtors, local community banks, local credit unions, local family offices, local foundations, local chambers of commerce, they all exist and they all care about their own communities. And so that's how, when, as we scale, we're going to leverage that as we go to new markets. Ed, I can't thank you enough for joining us for today's version of the Housing Wire Dispatch. Homeownership affordability is a big issue right now, not just in keeping qualified people out of the homeownership game, but also we're trying to solve for improving the health of an industry that needs more volume, loan originators that are hunting for solutions, real estate agents that want to increase volume in a high rate environment. And I think some of this innovation that we talked about today is part of the solution that our industry needs to chart our way forward. Thank you for all you do as an innovator. And thank you for sharing your knowledge today. Clayton, always good to see you. Thank you and Housing Wire for all you're doing. Appreciate being here. Bam. Now that is a wrap of this week's episode of the Housing News Podcast. Do me a huge favor and go to iTunes and rate this show. And if you leave a comment, you better tune in next week because you might get a shout out. Thank you.